I was going to try to finish up 18, and then as I was looking at 18 today, it really divided nicely just focusing in on um, a few verses. And, uh, uh, you know, looking at um, 12 through 21, it, we covered 18, 1 through 11 last week, and I hope you were encouraged because that was the whole purpose of that text that Luke wrote was how God encouraged Paul during a very discouraging time. Remember where Paul is. He's in the middle of his second missionary journey. He has already gone out on one missionary journey, had to deal with persecution in every town he went through. He was stoned and left to die. Came back, got a little refresh, and then went back on this one and is taking the gospel westward toward Rome. He was in Philippi, he was in Thessalonica, he was in Berea. And we saw him in Athens for the last couple of weeks. And as we looked at him in Athens, remember, he's alone in Athens. He had been run out of Thessalonica and Berea and left Silas and Timothy there. So there's nobody with him. And we saw him go into the Areopagus, do a beautiful job of sharing the gospel there, and left Dionysius and Damaris and maybe a couple more, but we don't know if there were any others. It might just have been them too. But he, had, he left them to go to Corinth. I'm sure that bothered Paul. And the reason is because Paul was a guy who was not just about a, a one and done and get out of there. He wanted to make sure whoever came to the Gospel and came to Christ, uh, they, they were taught all that Christ commanded, because that's what Jesus said to His disciples. He said, don't go make converts. Go make disciples, teaching them all that I've commanded. And so I'm sure that bothered Paul. So when he came to Corinth, he not only left these people there without anybody there to really disciple them, he went into really the sewage pit of that area. Corinth was like Vegas on steroids. It was just... Not a good place. In fact, remember the term Corinthianized meant to uh, somebody who was so sexually immoral, they uh, attributed that name to them. They had been Corinthianized. And we talked about how discouraged he was. Remember he said, I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling in 1 Corinthians 2. When he wrote the Corinthians, he said, man, I was weak when I came to you. <coughs> now you would think all Paul had went through, he would be strong. But life with Christ is a marathon. It is not a sprint. It is not a one and done. You just keep going along and He keeps strengthening you, giving you the will to go that next step. That's how you run a marathon. Who's run marathons in here? All right. When you, when you start the marathon, are you thinking about mile 24? No. no. You ain't going to get through it like that. You're thinking what? That Just give me through this mile. Just let me finish this mile. Then it's the next mile, right? And really, it's probably not even that mile. You're just trying to get through that next little bit. And so that's the way the Christian life is. And so Paul, when he came there, was discouraged. And we saw last week, God encouraged him through divine appointments. He brought a Priscilla and Aquila there from Rome. We saw him uh, really encourage him through divine affirmations because he brought Silas and Timothy from Macedonia. And they came not only bringing good news of how the church... And uh, Thessalonica is growing. These people are real, Paul. This was that you know those people that were so stubborn when you were sharing. They're actually growing in the Lord now. And he brought money from Philippi 
to help support the ministry so Paul didn't have to be a tent maker. And so he encouraged him with that. And he reminded Paul from the Word of God we saw in Ezekiel that God doesn't call Paul to convert anybody. He's called just to be a messenger. There's great affirmation in that. That you know, once we share with people, that's between them and God. Our responsibility, oh, is to be faithful as we share with other people. So there was a lot of divine affirmation there. But then we saw divine alternatives. He goes in to uh, Corinth, and what happens? Goes in the synagogue. They don't want anything to do with it, but there's a guy in the synagogue named Titus Justus who was there. And he goes, wow, I want to know more about this because this ain't doing it for me coming to the synagogue. I mean, this legalism stuff is ain't, ain't happening. And so Paul ends up meeting in his house and Crispus, the synagogue leader, goes, what's going on with Titus? I mean, he's been coming in here pretty regular and he starts investigating. He and his whole family come to Christ and they have a church now meeting right next to the synagogue. And that's a divine alternative we saw that God used to encourage Paul. Well, finally we saw uh, God say to Paul, because Paul, what happens every time Paul sees fruit in ministry? There, there's persecution, gets run out of town. And so I'm, he, he must have been fearful because God spoke to him, Luke says, and says, don't be afraid, Paul. I have many in this city. You go on. And it says he stayed there for a year and a half. That was a pretty long time for him too there. And so he's ministering there. So there was that divine authority that God used to encourage him. Well, today, as we kind of go through now 12 through 21, we're going to look at how unstoppable God is when he's doing his work. And what he does in the process is he deepens our walk as he goes through it. And we're going to look at at 12 through 21, and I want you to see these things as we go through it. Kind of see what God's doing here. That He deepens our walk the same way He did with Paul here by first of all, allowing us to go through trials and attacks. God wants your walk to be deep with Him. And He did with Paul. Now you go, my goodness, Paul's already been stoned. He's been persecuted in every city. How much deeper does he have to be? Well, what's he using Paul to do? Paul writes half the New Testament. So if God's going to use you greatly, you can bet He's going to deepen your walk. He don't want any shallow people out there representing Him to the world. And I tell people all the time, I'm much more encouraged by a guy who talks about how God got him through a difficult time than I am by somebody who says God got me a BMW. Nothing wrong with BMWs, but you know what I'm saying? Do you get the point there? Uh, And so God deepens our walk with Him through attacks and trials. But He also deepens our walk by showing us that He's in control in the midst of those things. And He always does. Now, we may not see it immediately because we're a want-it-now generation. Alright? Now, I mean, people want everything right now. My goodness, you go through lines and drive throughs you, you get upset if you have to wait more than five minutes for a meal. A fully cooked meal for a family of four. You know? In five minutes. And you're not happy if it's not that fast. That's the world we live in. But you may not see 
God's provision and his control right away, but he's always in control. And for his servants, he will show you that. And we see it throughout Scripture. And finally, he, he shows us and deepens our walk by directing us where and when to serve him. And we will know he's moving us in this direction. We will sense that. And he does that with Paul. And so that's how he deepens our walk. So we're going to read this text and come back and look at each one of these because God deepens his walk here in a great way. And it's really, really great what ends up happening. So go to Acts 18, verse 12 through 21 and join me in reading it. Starting in verse 12, but when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila, at Sincrea, he had, his, had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue, and he reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills and he set sail from Ephesus. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, what did God say last week when we went through the last part? He said, don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. I have many in this city. No one will attack you to harm you. What he really says there is, I'm not going to let anybody harm you. So what was Paul thinking when they brought him before Gallio? Do you think maybe he was wondering if, if, if God didn't give uh, those people the memo? You know, sometimes we go through difficult times and we wonder if, if God is true to what He says, if He will give us the strength to get through it, or if He's really involved. I, I was reading yesterday... Um, there's a, 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 a group coming to Jacksonville to do a big conference. And, you know, on the exterior, it looks great. But I did a deep dive on what they believe and what they teach. And they teach because Jesus died on the cross. We're all free from any illness. And He promises to heal us all. And that's true on the other side. Not this side of heaven, though. Not everybody's going to be healed of, of disease this side of heaven. His death on the cross provided ultimate healing to us in the sense that we are reconciled to the one true living God. But as best I can tell, with the exception of Elijah 
and um, Enoch. Uh, Enoch yeah. Pretty much, we're all going to die oh, yeah. unless he comes back. And so he, healing, you know, is so funny. And and I don't mean this in a bad way, but you know, I I call my dad. My dad is at a stage of life now. He's eighty nine, and he's younger than you, Roy. <laughs> but but he, you know, he's 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 eight. He's he's eighty nine, and he's telling me about so and so, and they, you know, they they they're got this wrong with them, and. You know, pray for healing, uh, and and you know they're struggling, and they're like, and I'm like, okay, part of it's like Queen Elizabeth. You know, they're trying to determine how she died. Well, old age is how she died. You know, I mean, really, our bodies were <coughs> the curse brought death to us. We physically die one day. Some die young. You know. I think somebody said, "Great, all great men die young." Well, I don't feel so good either, Roy. You know, so, uh, but but the truth is that we all are going to die, and so that theology is is out there in a lot of places. is is called prosperity gospel theology. That if you follow Jesus, your life's going to be great. You're not going to have any problems. That that uh, he's going to give you health and wealth. What Jesus is that? It ain't the Jesus of the Bible. But he allows Paul, even though he told Paul, Paul, nobody's going to harm you here, it didn't mean that Paul was not going to have struggles. He just said nobody's going to harm you. You go on and speak. Don't be afraid. And so one of the things that God uses these struggles for is to deepen our walk with Him. Are you more inclined to be looking to God when everything's going great or when you're in need? Look at the children of Israel. Every time they were blessed, they turned away from Him. And He'd bring judgment, not judgment, He would bring, you know, sometimes there was judgment, He would bring problems into their lives and tribulations, and they would turn to Him, they would cry out to Him. Even evil kings in the Old Testament, the Israel kings, the kings of Israel that were... uh, There wasn't a good king in Israel after Solomon. They were all evil. They all did evil. But even those evil kings, when they cried out to God, He would relent sometimes. He's a merciful God. And what He wants more than anything is us to depend on Him. To look to Him. That deepens that relationship with him. Listen to what God said to Peter in Luke chapter 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that you may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Do you know that Jesus intervenes for you if you're his child? as you go through these struggles? Whether it's with your wife or your children, whatever it is, you're not going through it by yourself. If you're His, if you're His, He is at that very moment that you're struggling, intervening for you, that you will be strong, look to the right place, your eyes will be fixed on Him, and God will supply your needs. Not your wants, but your needs. 
And that's the way you deepen your faith. He deepens it that way. And, you know, 2 Corinthians 1 is a great passage of Scripture to remind us that we go through trials in order to be able to be a comfort to other people who will go through those similar trials. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth here. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, wait a minute, we're supposed to suffer? Yes, we share in Christ's sufferings. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Paul's Paul's walk is deepened so much by suffering and God took him through all this to make Paul so deep that he could write things like 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, Titus, the letter to the Romans. That, That would not have come out of some superficial walk with God. All those great Words of encouragement about our faith in God came from the depth of who Paul was, what God did in his life. So here he is. God just said, okay, I've got many in this city, Paul. And now the Jewish leaders bring him. They drag him before Gallio. Gallio was the proconsul. He was the leader of this area. And by the way, Gallio was no small guy. Gallio, you ever heard of a guy named Seneca? Seneca mentored a guy who eventually became Caesar named Nero. Well, Gallio was Seneca's brother. So this was not a small fry in the kingdom of Rome. And so they think, okay, we're going to bring Paul before Gallio. We're going to tell him that he is not a recognized religion. See, Rome would allow religions within its borders or within its little provinces, wherever they had stuff, as long as it was recognized, it was okay. But if they felt like it was a threat and it wasn't recognized, then they would squash it. And so what these Jews were hoping to do is say, hey, this guy Paul, he's creating a a weird kind of sect. It's not part of Judaism. and, and, And it's not recognized. And he's trying to use it to overthrow Rome. That's what they were trying to accomplish. But when they got there, and they got Gallio, they said it was contrary to the law because Jewish religion was recognized by Rome. And by the way, Satan, he's always looking to hurt and destroy the lives of God's children. You can rest assured, if you're going to follow Jesus, he will do everything to try to hurt your witness and hurt your life, to discourage you, to distract you. He wants you dead. It's like the Terminator. Yeah. 
It really is. That's a good illustration. He's like the Terminator. He has come. He is looking for you. He wants to destroy your witness. And so, when you have all these issues going on in your life, and you just think they're random happenings, they're not. Whether they're relational, physical, financial, it doesn't matter. He uses everything. He controls this world underneath the authority of the Most High God. He can't override it. Remember, he had to go to uh, God and say, hey, can, can I do this to Job? Because God had to give him permission to do the things to Job he did. Same with Paul. So here he is, and, and they're trying to do this to him. And so he allows us to go through these attacks and trials. But look at what happens in verse 14. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, what's Paul going to do? He's what he always does. He's defending himself. He's about to tell him the gospel, right? And I love this. When Paul was about to open his mouth, what happens? It says, <laughs> Gallio said, Hey, this guy ain't breaking the law. God intervened, guys. He intervened through Gallio. And here's the crazy part. What were the Jews trying to do? They were trying to discredit Christianity as a recognized religion or part of Judaism. And you know what Gallio ended up doing? He ended up putting a stamp of approval on it from this point on because he ruled that it was not against the law. Isn't that crazy? Was there another time in Scripture where somebody tried to do something and God flipped the tables on them? You ever hear of a, a guy named Joseph in the Old Testament who his brothers tried to kill? And instead, Joseph ended up being the ones that delivered his brothers and everybody else from the famine? Listen to what Joseph said. As for you, you meant evil for me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God flipped the tables. <clears throat> Think about that. And what was Satan doing all along? Satan was trying to hinder it all along. What did he do? He brings Potiphar's wife. Come on, Joseph. Come on, Joseph. Come on, Joseph. How can I sin against God? He's thrown in jail. Satan thinks, I got him now. And keeps him in jail. It never was outside of God's authority. And he didn't release Joseph till he was done training Joseph. When you're going through a difficult time, God's training you. He doesn't train us. Listen, do you want Marines that uh, get trained at the local YMCA or at uh, Paris Island? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nothing wrong with the YMCA, but they ain't going to be very tough being trained there the way they are at Paris Island. And so God takes us through some pretty tough training programs to deploy us and use us for His glory. And so Gallio said Paul's beliefs and actions are not a crime. He legalizes Christianity here. And, and so, when he did that, it says he drove the <coughs> protesters from the tribunal. He said, get out of here. 
You're wasting my time. I don't want to, I'm not dealing with this. He shows that he's in control. Was there another person in the Bible who somebody tried to destroy like they're trying to destroy him and the tables were flipped? You ever hear of a guy named Haman? There's a story in Esther where this guy wanted to kill Mordecai, who was a Jew. He hated him because he wouldn't bow down to him. Bill's this 50-foot gallows. He's going to hang Mordecai because Haman is like a big shot in the kingdom. And he gets uh, the leader, he tricks the leader into issuing an edict that goes out through all the land to kill all the Jews. And so now he's got legal authority to do it. And it looks bad for Mordecai. It looks really bad. But that's not the end of the story. Listen to what Esther 7 says. Harbona, one of the eunuchs who attended to the king, said, hey, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose words saved the king. Wait, wait a minute. What happened? You see, there was a plot to kill the king. Mordecai heard about the plot, shared it, and it was annotated in history. God was sovereignly working His plan out throughout time. Yeah, Haman built this, and Haman built it for Mordecai who saved the king, he said. But it's at Haman's house. It stands 50 cubits. Actually, it's higher than 50 feet. 50 cubits is about 75 feet. So a gallows 75 feet high so everybody can see him hung. And the king said, hang him, that being Haman, on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Yeah, God, our God, has a habit of flipping tables. But you know, you know Doug, the thing about it is the king asked for that to be read to him. So he was in the word, if you will, right? Like, yeah. bring this out to me. I can't sleep. He reads it. He's like, do we ever do anything for him? Yeah, why couldn't he sleep? Right. Yeah, see, God was orchestrating. God, the kings are nothing more than a tool of the Most High. Mm-hmm. Anytime Esther did that at her risk. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But God was sovereignly moving. Can you think of another person? Daniel. Remember? Hey, the only way we're going to get Daniel is it has to be something with his God. So we, we, they got Darius to trick, they tricked Darius to go and do this edict that you can only pray to Him. And so they threw Daniel in the lion's den. Darius didn't want to do it. Darius wanted... He's like, man, Daniel, may your God protect you. And then he comes the next day, Daniel, did your God protect you? Yes, O king. Daniel wasn't mad at the king. Daniel trusted in God in the lion's den. And then the king said, hey, take these people that tricked me, throw them in there. The moment they touched the ground, those lions were on them and they were done. Them and their families. God has a habit of flipping the tables. So you don't have to fear anybody. I don't care who it is if you're His. He shows that He's in control. Well, as he drove them, verse 16, they drove them from the synagogue, I mean from the tribunal. It says, verse 17, they see Sosthenes. <coughs> Who's Sosthenes? Well, Sosthenes is the guy that replaced Crispus. Remember Crispus? He was the synagogue leader. What happened to him? He became a believer. He's now at this 
First Church of Corinth. First Presbyterian, First Methodist, depends on what your flavor. You just call it whatever you want. But he's at the First Church of Corinth. Christmas is there with his family. Titus Justice, other Corinthians are there. And as he's there, the, the Jewish people go, hey, we've got to have another synagogue leader. So they get Sosthenes. Sosthenes ends up, this is his first big test. All this has happened pretty quick. So this is his first test. They come to him and say, hey, this guy Paul who says he's a Jew is destroying our synagogue. He's taking people out of it. So let's go to the... Uh, you know, let's go to Gallio and make charges. So he's the leader of it all. That's why they beat him. He failed. He failed. And they're going, oh, wow, this, this didn't work out too well. And so they beat him. What happened to Sosthenes? You guys read the Bible much? You know, the Bible is not just random stories. And sometimes it's just a name here. If you see a name, you always want to check and see if it's listed in another place. If you go to 1 Corinthians 1, you know what it says? 1 Corinthians 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. He's writing the letter to Corinth with Paul. The guy who was beat. So think about that. Do you think maybe Crispus might have gone to him after they beat him and said, Brother, <coughs> that's not the way. This is the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They didn't just pick anybody to be the synagogue leader. It was probably a guy who served Crispus. The Bible is about people. It's not just random stories. So think about it. Now the second synagogue leader is converted to Christianity. You never would know that if you don't connect 1 Corinthians with here. That's why when we're reading through the Bible and we see things, we've got to be able to go. But listen, God is always in control. Exodus 14, Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be what? Silent. God's going to fight for you. He's going to fight for you. Deuteronomy here, Deuteronomy 20. Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is He who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. <laughs> the guy who led the assault against Paul becomes a Timothy of Paul's. <laughs> How cool is God? You think you're going to stamp this out? They're going to become one of the chosen army.
Isn't that great? Psalm 66, just to give you one more verse. I love this too. Bless our God, O peoples. This is Psalm 66, 8. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of His praise be heard who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, God, have tested us. Does God test us? You bet. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a burden on our back. You let men ride on our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you brought us to a place of abundance. God will let you go through these things, but He is in control. Make no mistake, He is in control. And what does it say? When they beat Sosthenes, it says Gallio paid no attention. Christianity was legalized in Corinth. Well, verse 18, it says, Paul stayed many days. Why? He was free to stay as long as he wanted, thanks to Gallio. There's no issue there. He stayed as long as he wanted there. And uh, he went to leave. At uh, Sincrea, remember, was one of the ports of Corinth. So Sincrea was where he was going to leave from to go someplace else. He was actually headed back to Antioch. Remember, Antioch was the church that sent him. It says he was going to go to Antioch. He was going to Syria. And so he stayed there. And it makes this statement there. Uh, he took with him Priscilla and Aquila. And at Sincrea, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. What does that mean? Why did he cut his hair? I never really understood that, guys, until I was reading about this. And you got to go back to Numbers chapter 6. And remember, when Paul came to Corinth, he was nervous. He was discouraged. And he was so fearful that he actually made a vow, probably calling on God to help him, to be with him. And he made a vow. I'm going to serve you. I'm scared. I'm afraid, but I'm going to make a vow. The kind of vow he made was a Nazarite vow. It had nothing to do with the city of Nazareth. It was a Nazarite vow, vow from um, back in number 6. And I want to read number 6 to you real quick. It says, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord... He will separate from wine, strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine nor strong drink, and he shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes, fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skin. He's having nothing to do with wine or anything that could be wine. He's, he's saying, I'm giving this up. I'm trusting you. I want to be focused and devoted to you, Father. The whole chapter 6 is about that in Numbers. But verse 18 says, And the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire that is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. So the reason Paul cut his hair before he leaves is God got him through the ordeal of Corinth 
And he cuts his hair and he's going to offer it as a sacrifice when he goes to Jerusalem. And that's what it's talking about. Isn't that why he's at the temple when they arrest him in like in Acts 22? Yes. Okay. He, is, he had made a vow. Lord, help me. Help me. I'm scared. I'm going into here. I'm taking a vow. I, I, I am, Lord, I am Yours. I'm devoted to You. What happens a lot of times with people when they go through difficult times or they're being thrust, they turn their back on God. Why did You let me go through this, God? Why are You taking me into this, God? Not Paul. He, he tightens that grip on God. Which is what we should be doing. You know, God deepens our walk by directing us. By directing us. You know, in John 21, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, listen. He goes, Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk where you wanted. But when you're old, you're going to stretch your hands out and another's going to dress you and carry you where you do not want to go, Peter. Remember what he said before that? Three times. Do you love me? How many times did he deny him? Three times. This isn't punishment. It's not punishment to suffer for Christ. And he's saying, you know what, Peter? I'm going to take you places you don't want to go, but you're going to do it. I prayed for you, Peter. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of the first verses I ever learned. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding Him. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He will what? He <coughs> will guide. He will direct your paths. But you've got to be looking to Him. See, His direction deepens our walk. Because he, he shows us where and when to serve Him. Where and when. And that's what he does with Paul here. Because what does he say? He left Aquila and Priscilla at Ephesus. It says, if you go down here, it says, and they came to Ephesus and he left them there. Who? Priscilla and Aquila. They ended up being leaders of the church at Ephesus. Why did he leave them? Because God moved him to lead them. But he himself went in the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Why? Because that's what Paul did. Everywhere he went, he was about sharing the gospel. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. Why? Well, sometimes you've got to refresh your batteries, guys. It's better to cut with a sharp sickle than it is to sit there and work too hard with a dull one. And even Paul, as great as he was, sometimes had to say, you know what? I need a break. I I don't know. This is hard for me. I've been struggling with this and some things and uh, just candidly being candid with you. uh, It's been hard. That's been a source of a lot of frustration with my wife and I. Because... I don't do that very well. I thrive on chaos. I thrive on activity. But sometimes you have to step back. And Paul says, nope. Nope. 
I can't. He goes, I gotta, I gotta have some time to rest. <coughs> and that's okay. That's okay. And so he says <clears throat> at the end, when he left, he says, I will return to you what? If God wills. <clears throat> I will return to you if God wills it. He doesn't promise he's coming back. He says, I'm coming back if God wills. James 4.13. You're familiar with this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, I will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow brings. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Instead, what you ought to say is if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. That's why, as believers, we should never promise something we can't deliver. We shouldn't promise. If, if, you, know, you can tell somebody, I'll do my best, but you can't promise somebody something you can't deliver. I was with a meeting yesterday with some guys trying to help another guy out with an issue. This group of guys had promised this guy something three months ago, and they couldn't fulfill it. And they, and they said, and, and now they're wanting to do something else, and I'm trying to help this guy. And I said, and he wanted me. He's a people pleaser. And so he's just wanting to, he's wanting to let him do it, and his wife's encouraged him to let me talk to him because I'm not a people pleaser. I mean, I'm just going to shoot straight with him. So I sat down there and I just told him to their face, listen, you said you would do this and you didn't. So how can he trust you? Well, we wanted to. Uh, we, we had no idea this. So I said, so you, you, but you said you would. And if you can't be taken at your word, then how are they going to trust what you're going to say? That's why you need to say what you mean and mean what you say. If you're going to do something, but see, the truth is we don't have the ability to control anything. So we can say, I really want to try to do that. You know, that's my goal. But I can't promise it because you can't control certain things. And they agreed. And so we worked out a new agreement for them going forward. And, and here I am helping this guy doing this. I'm not even a business guy. I'm a minister guy. <clears throat> but these principles are biblical. This is James saying, listen, you can't promise somebody you're going to be there next week. And what Paul says is, if it's God's will, I'll be there. Why? Because God directs where. God directs when. But I want to leave you with this. When he came to Corinth, he was alone, right? <laughs> God brought him two people, Priscilla and Aquila. They got two converts, at least that we know two of them. We know Sosthenes and Crispus. He sent two people and left them in Ephesus and left Crispus and Sosthenes there leading the church in Corinth. And remember when he went in, he was what? in fear and much trembling about this city. Is God in control? Of course He is. So when you think about your own life and what you're going through, are you in a trial? Are you undergoing attack? Are you trusting in the God who is in control? 
Are you trying to fix it on your own? Are you serving him where he wants you to serve? Are you serving him where you want to serve? Are you serving him how he wants you to serve? Are you serving him how you want to serve? It's all God's stuff. When I wake up in the morning, guys, I say to God, you know what? I'm yours today. If you want me to do this, I'll do it. If not, it's okay. That's why whatever the financial thing is, whatever the family thing is, it's not our job to quote Dallas Jenkins uh, from The Chosen, uh, it's not our job to feed the 5,000. It's just our job to bring the fish and the loaves. So we don't have to control any kind of outcome, guys. That's the hardest thing for us, I think, as American men to grasp as a believer. Because we get upset that we can't control an outcome. And God doesn't call us to. He simply calls us to be faithful, to represent Him in the midst of whatever we go through. So I hope that is encouraging to you. I hope you'll do some introspection in your own life as you go through these trials, as you go through attacks, and just look to Him. And it may be looking to Him like, uh, I think it was Jehoshaphat, who said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on You. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are, are on you, looking to you. And, and that's where Paul was, and I hope that's where you'll be. That's where I'm at, by the grace of God. So, uh, Ron, will you close our time in prayer, brother?